Good afternoon, good evening, good day. Whatever it is, hello and welcome back to King of the Ride podcast, episode number 98. Our guest today is an icon in the endurance running space. Winner of the Leadville 100 is a fresh-faced 23-year-old back in 2006. Let's then fast forward 15 years, the year is 2021, and he finished on the podium at Leadville once again. Over that time span, he has also podiumed at Western States, plus loads of others. He has won lots of other races too, but that legend status, a term that I will not use lightly here, that transcends results. His blog became requisite reading material for all aspiring runners. His social media attracts millions of views. He writes prolifically, and he travels minimally. By that, I mean check out his stunning social media channel, which features his bikepacking ventures. Folks, Anton Krupichka is our guest today. Now, it's through a shared fondness for and shared ambassadorship with everyone's favorite mapping software, Ride with GPS, that this conversation first kicked off. You see, Laura and I were traveling late summer 2022 on our van trip. We made our way through Boulder, Colorado. Anton, or Tony, depending on how long you've known him, we were in his hometown, Boulder, Colorado. I knew that he was in town. I knew that he lived there. So I reached out to my friends at Ride with GPS to get his contact. We met up. We went for a bike ride. He was wrapping up a climbing training session for some upcoming adventures. He had recently moved around a long run session. And Anton and I grabbed a coffee and snacks and we talked shop. As such, and as is often the case on this podcast, you will notice plenty of background noise. All of that is part of the charm of real world studios. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I wanted to get into what makes Anton tick, what makes his world go round. It was great to talk with somebody with so much knowledge in the greater endurance space, hear his thoughts on being a person of influence, and loads, loads more. But before diving in, as with recent episodes, this conversation is supported by Athletic Greens. I started taking Athletic Greens, AG1, looking for a simpler solution to buying a whole bunch of bottles of supplements. What's more, I wanted a real food solution for that. I forget the exact number, but Athletic Greens is onto something like their 83rd iteration of their pursuit of perfecting AG1. This is where I get my micronutrients, my probiotics, my adaptogens that I rely on to start my day every single day, as I have since I first started taking AG1 earlier this year. Bonus, no more worrying about cross-contamination in this contemporary world of funky pseudo-ingredients that you will find in the nutrition aisle. So I'm going to make it simple. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash tedking. Once again, athleticgreens.com slash tedking. Take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. That's it. That's all. On to the conversation with Anton. Okay, kicking things off. I feel like time and place are very uh, impressionable upon a person. And and my understanding is you grew up on a farm mm-hmm. in Nebraska that happened to be on a reservation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how has that had an impression on you? I mean, it's... 
a huge part of my identity, I guess. Uh, I would say it a couple different ways. First off, it gave me an appreciation for and like a respect for the land. Uh, our farm is 640 acres. Uh, been in our family f for three generations, but my family has been in that area for five generations, which is a lot in North America, mm -hmm. if you're not native. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess like the Indian reservation part, I'd never even thought about it until I moved away because mm -hmm. it was just normal, you know? Uh, well, yeah, you live your life through the perspective of your eyes, so all you know is yeah. Normal. Until I until I moved to Colorado for college in 2001, it never occurred to me that it was at all unique or offered me any kind of perspective. Growing up on an Indian reservation, going to a school that was well, now it's like 75% native. It was more like 40 or 50% native when I was going. Wow. Um, but uh, yeah, it just gives you a little more. I think that's a really important aspect of the history of this country. Huh? And I kind of grew up witnessing the effects of that kind of subjugation and forced assimilation and and it's not pretty, you mm -hmm. know? It's it's really grim. Uh, so, yeah. Do you suppose you saw those, uh, I wanna say in the here and now, did you see those things then? Or no, not at all. So not, it's especially... No. And there's like sort of... It's crazy because until I moved away, until I grew up and became an adult, I didn't realize how people could be so... Um, just like endemically racist, basically. Like you just don't get it because you're just like, that's that's just what is... Yeah. That's just the norm, you know? It's like the fabric of the community kind of... And, um, That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah, and it's not, it doesn't even feel that like aggressive or anything in the, when you're living it. But when you step back from it, you're just like, dang, like, there's a law. I don't know. At the same time, it's really complicated. Sure. You know? Oh, exactly. Um, I don't feel like. <laughs> it's, funny that, it's funny that we're like jumping into this so much because I, I actually like don't even think about it that often. <laughs> like, yeah. But it is. But I guess it's because you mentioned the reservation thing in, mm -hmm. in kind of your question. I guess why I'm talking about it. But I don't consider that like an, an enormous part of my identity personally. But yep. it is something that is a result of where I grew up. Yep. Um, okay. You your first marathon takes place when you are quite young, age twelve. Yeah. Twelve. Um, what uh, is, is running the sole sport you're doing as a kid? Are you doing other sports? Are you kicking a soccer ball around? No, uh, very briefly, football and basketball. Yeah. Just because Nebraska. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, running was a sole sport. I mean, once I found that, that was all I cared about. And um, How old were you when you found running? Was it I was like 11, yeah. And what would have been like sixth grade? Yeah. Um, and then ran a marathon 18 months after starting to, like, run every day. Is that... When I heard you ran a marathon at age 12, that just seems kind of crazy. I'm not a runner. Maybe that's normal for for us. It's it's early. It's crazy. I, Is if I had a 12 year old son right now, I would yeah. I would uh, try to dissuade him from wanting to run a marathon. You did know? you train for it? Or you, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like you I, I did train th for that. You're, yeah, I did run a marathon. I did three 20 milers leading up to it. Yeah, wow. like you know, in like the six weeks leading up to it. Kind Were of you thing. coached at that age? No, no. I've never, okay. I've had coaches yeah. in my life. I've never been coached. You're familiar <laughs> with the concept of coaches? Okay. Yeah. I'm, uh, 
it's just like it's never worked with my relationship to running. Mm -hmm. um, I guess there's been points in my running career where I've really wanted to like be the best runner I could be, and, mm -hmm. but never enough to like optimize everything, you know. Interesting. Which is, I think is what a coach implies. If you're going to pay someone to tell you how to run, yeah, and when and where to run, like. I don't know, you're like letting, uh, you're handing over control, I guess. Right, you sort of roboticize. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, I mean, surely you don't have that, the perspective of the past many decades as a 12-year-old. What what does running look like for you in high school and and then as you go off to CC, Colorado College? Um, I mean, I was running a lot. I was, I was, uh... I was always trying to run around 100 miles a week, but I got injured a lot. Yeah. I've been injured a lot my whole career. Um, so there's a lot of frustration involved with it too. Running was very much the absolute, like the totality of my identity, I would say. Uh -huh. But there was always a lot of frustration wrapped up in it because injuries prevented me from ever having the competitive results I desired. I don't think I have any talent at sub-marathon distances. Um, what kind of distances were you running in high school? High school, college? mile and two mile, okay. uh, 5K cross country, and then wow. in college, similar 1,500, 5K, maybe 10K on the track, but then 8K in cross country, yeah. So you venture off to Colorado College, which I'm familiar with because my brother went to Colorado College. Oh, really? He did. He graduated in 03, so you probably would have overlapped at some point. His name is Robbie. He raced a bike. Robbie King. Oh, wait. Hold on a second. Studied biology. It definitely rings a bell. Huh. Um, you had a buddy on the cycling team there, Cody. But yeah. yeah. What's Cody's last name? I'm trying to remember. It's like right It's like running it to my tongue. Not Smith. Um, what is his last name? I know of whom you speak. Yeah, because everyone, once a year, we'd go to nationals and I'd hang out with the Colorado College cycling team. Um, <laughs> That's funny. I just remember he had like... The OG, like, Trek OCLV yeah. carbon frame, like, oh, yeah. 99, you know? <laughs> and it was like, oh, my God, that right. was the fucking That's bike. It. You know? Yeah, but uh, whatever. Um, did you did you apply to schools all over the place, or did CC? Mostly yeah. just the Midwest. Um, yeah. Growing up in Nebraska, the nearest airport's three hours away. Mm -hmm. So the idea of, like, flying to go to school just seemed inconceivable to me because... Yeah. Like, even now, when I go back home, I've never flown home. I've always driven the nine hours or whatever it is. Right on. You know? um, so I applied to liberal arts schools in Iowa, Minnesota, um, like Grinnell, Carleton, these kinds of schools. But mm -hmm. then CC was the only school in the mountains that I applied to, and that was the one I wanted to get into, and I was fortunate enough to get like a science scholarship there, so. No kidding. Yeah, otherwise, I mean, my family would not have been able to pony up to whatever, like 100K or whatever yep. cost to go to school there. Which, I mean, brings up interesting points. Like I said earlier, I feel like I've done the master class of Anton Krupichka. The mountains have had a great impression on you as it's helped uh, dictate a great portion of your life as you become a ultra and mountain runner. And you've talked about the socioeconomic situation of a place like Colorado College that certainly has, uh, I mean, it's like, I went to a small liberal I'll say, you went to Middlebury, right? Exactly, yeah. right? Like, You're aware of, like, oh, and very. that's in New England, so uh -huh. there's, like, a whole other level of hoity-toity-ness going on. Right, so <laughs> how, 
broad stroke, massive question. How 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 did going to Colorado have have an impression on you then and through the present? Well, it's funny because CC is this bubble within Colorado Springs. Yeah, yeah, um, oh, big time. And I think it made me, you know, more worldly in a sense. Uh, I, I, I remember my freshman year, like, I didn't really know, like, what foreign make vehicles were. Like, you know, it's just like everything's Ford and Chevy back in Nebraska, you know? <laughs> And I remember seeing like BMWs and even like a Volvo or something, and just being like, "What?" And you know, when kids and kids are driving these vehicles, you know, and and uh, I don't know, yeah, you're like made aware of the wealth, and it gets normalized. But then by the time you're a senior, you kind of realize how ridiculous all that stuff is, you know. Um, and I guess I was always keenly keenly aware of all of it because there's all these kids who it's like through no fault of their own come from wealthy families mm-hmm. um but they are like putting on these airs of being like you know they're just college kids you know everyone's like no one's showering no one's everyone's wearing rags like right. you know and it's just like and but then you like drive to the whole foods in your bmw suv and and then when your parents show up in town, you guys are staying in the Broadmoor, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's just weird, you know? So, but I think that, um, that served to kind of, uh, like, develop a little bit of a chip on my shoulder about, I don't know, people not being genuine with who they are and then developing a cynicism around that. And, uh, and that was, like, an outgrowth of feeling like an outsider in high school in a small rural community, someone who was interested in like, I don't know, more than shooting stop signs with shotguns and drinking <laughs> beer, you know? Like, right. so I don't know, it was a lot of a lot of mixed. And that's something I still, oh, I don't know, I don't struggle with all that stuff anymore, I would say, but I've spent a lot of my like life thinking about those kind of dynamics, I guess. Yep. And, and CC is no slouch of a school. So between that and you end up going to grad school, yeah, you have a master's. Uh, sorry, you have uh, uh, you graduate undergrad with a major in physics. Yeah, in philosophy and geology. Yeah, yeah which is yeah. a bit all over the map. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. guess that's the product of going to a liberal arts school. Is you can study a bit of everything. Well, or I mean, a lot of everything. I mean, like, I, those are degrees, you know. Yeah. Like I did full majors and all right. three of those. And not to mention it, this is the block program where I mean, it's a very intensive what three and a half weeks. That's right. how you take a course. To yeah, work. but I think that's sort of what allowed me to do that. I mean, it took five years, but yeah. yeah. So, uh, would you you end up in Boulder for grad school? What was your pursuit in grad school? What was your goal in going to grad school? Um, my goal in going to grad school was putting off like getting a job and becoming like a real adult I think yeah. I didn't I think I told myself at the time it was just like the logical next step yeah. I didn't I didn't my heart wasn't in it for sure uh, but what I were you studying? I studied uh, I was in the geography department and okay. I studied, studied alpine hydrology basically oh interesting um, I was working on acid mine drainage reclamation down in the San Juan Mountains nice um, cool area so using like biogeochemistry and geology and yeah Interdisciplinary, which is, you know, I wanted to be doing something applied, um, and that was, but I didn't enjoy it at all, and I wasn't committed. And, like, running was taking off too much at that point in time, too, so, yeah. And college is such an... I mean, we're just starting school. 
I studied economics. Because as much as I appreciated that liberal arts allowed you to study everything, mm -hmm. I was like, okay, what's going to be the most applicable? And started in math, and I was a math major for three and a half years until my GPA, and I hit those 400-level courses. That's fucking hard. It's crazy hard. Phys physics is just math. I'm, and I'm I like, got my ass kicked. Well, right, but you got the degree. I was at a point where I'm like, I'm not going to graduate. So then I said, okay, let's make it slightly easier and put a dollar sign in front of it, and that's economics, and got a degree in econ. Was there like a... At CC, there was a major that was like... Econ with a math emphasis or something. We didn't have that, and especially being at a small liberal arts school, it's so theoretical and zero percent applied. Um, the econ, you mean? Yeah, econ. Oh, really? So, so you're talking about like, like Keynesian economics and like, like exactly. literally like philosophy almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you take your summer and go to Wall Street and and put in an applied course, so to did speak. Did you do that? I never did. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> and that, I mean, that's where I. Tangent of the conversation complete, which we'll ultimately get to, I think. Um, where is running in this period in your life? As in, in college? Uh, in college, yes, and then graduating, ultimately going to, yeah. to grad school. Um, in college, it was sort of an extension of high school, but just in the mountains, in that just like really frustrated competitively, never had any success, but was super passionate and running high mileage and getting injured a lot um listening to your coach there no definitely not <laughs> no <laughs> i'm uncoachable dude okay yeah got it <laughs> I, I love my coach he's a great guy you know wonderful human but and i think probably even a good running coach but i just not i'm not coachable uh -huh. um <clears throat> but then i knew i was i was just a student of the sport devoured everything obviously i ran a marathon when i was really young so I was always interested in how far can I run, you know, pushing the limits that way. So I knew once I graduated, I was going to, like, try out ultras, basically. Uh, and that's what I did because uh, it took me actually five years so I could get that third major. Um, so then in 06, I ran Leadville. Uh, and Quite successfully. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those things. I was running so much, you know, probably 30 hours a week. Um, and it's hard to not be good at racing 100 miles in the mountains when you're putting in, you know, 20 to 30 hours of running every week on trails at, in Colorado Springs, you know, on Pikes Peak. Like, do you, you did win that, correct? Mm -hmm. You won your first 100 miler, yeah, first ultra Leadville 100, 2006. Yeah, and it was like the second fastest time at that point in time. So it was like a fast time to. So yeah, without being too self deprecating. I mean, you have talent, or or do you think it's... Yeah, for that, I think, yeah, yeah. So... But but 100 miles, is, it's like such an extreme... Right. ...and niche aspect of the sport. Yep. It's not the Olympic aspect of the sport. Sure. You know? it's, it's not the NCAA aspect of the sport. Well, you got a cool belt buckle. <laughs> I got um, a couple of those, yeah. <laughs> do... What does the scene look like? What is the ultra scene at that point? We're talking mid-aughts. Mid mid-aughts, yeah. It's still... Um, so you've probably heard the name Dean Carnassus. Absolutely. I think he came out with his book, Ultra Marathon Man, in 05. Okay. So like the sport was just starting to take off. Yep. Um, Born to Run didn't come out until 09. Okay. And that's really when, it, you know, Chris McDougall's book. So that's when it really took off. And uh, That's crazy. That was 13 years ago. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess just for context, you know, 500 people ran Leadville in 06. Okay. But I signed up two weeks before the race. Oh. Like, there wasn't a lottery or any of that right. stuff, you know. And, yep. Um, I just sent in my 200 bucks and 
Yeah. Uh, and, and you were talking about Lifetime hadn't bought the race yet. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's there's a balance of physiology and what your body can handle, what your what your lungs are capable of, what your skeletal is, and also just in, with endurance sports, it's how much time you put in, you put in, put in, put in. And you were saying, you know, you're you're incredibly well trained for this kind of thing. Are people training exclusively for ultras? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Now it's become... I know now, then. Oh, then. Uh, yes, they are, for sure, but the talent isn't there. Okay. You know? Now it's a viable career path post-collegially for a runner. In 2006, no. Right. I mean, my first sponsorship was, like, a pair of shoes, and the second year, I think I got 500 bucks, you know? In what year? Uh, so, like, 06, I bought a pair of La Sportivas uh-huh. for the race, the guy who was running the like athlete program at Sportiva, who's a friend of mine still to this day, like emailed me after the race and was just like, uh, want a free pair of shoes? And yeah. I was like, sure, I'm Sick. 23 and like broke, right. <laughs> you know? And uh, But then like a year later, that turned into like, you know, 10 pairs of shoes and like 500 bucks or something, yeah. you know? Um, so, yeah. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of parsing apart a similar situation in which I found myself where my first year, in 2016, that was my first year outside of the World Tour. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm just going to events and working with sponsors and having fun and riding my bike. And on a whim, somebody said, you ought to go do this race at that point called 30 Kansas, yeah. Allen Bound. Point being, it was very much on a whim. It wasn't on big maps. And fast forward to the present, obviously, it's a big one. How much of a whim was it on which you decided to do? Leadville was a, it was a bigger deal already at that point. Um, it's funny, I feel like gravel bike racing <laughs> has been on this just like rocket ship trajectory since about 15, 16, something like that. Yeah. To where it's now probably overtaking ultra running, but at that, it, it probably didn't surpass the ultra running scene and opportunities until like last year though, yeah. you know? Like, so, whereas ultra running grew more slowly, up until the last couple of years, it was a more developed sport than gravel racing, you know, I think. Yep. Um, so yeah, people were definitely training specifically f- to run ultras. Leadville was a big deal. Um, you know, that race was founded in 83. Western States, kind of like the grandfather race of the sport was in 74. Yep. So, I mean, it's been around a long time. Got it. You know what? I mean, Unbound was 06, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Even so, sooner than that. Yeah. So that's sort of, I would say that's sort of like the origin story of okay. people will bristle at that, but that's like the origin story of gravel racing, yep. you know, it's like, oh, you're completely right. Yeah. But, um, so there's that like couple of decades of run up to, that it had on it. But, uh, yeah, I would say in my, over the span of my career, the opportunities have just like exploded for people and not, I mean, I think the upper end has increased for sure, uh-huh. but also like the base has increased, like more people have more opportunities, you know, more people can do it full time. Um, so, yeah. And this is, this is the advent of your professional career. Mm-hmm. Um, mid late aughts, you're you're finding ultra running, you're finding a great deal of success, and I mean, at some point you're saying, okay, I'm going to pursue this as a career. Is it is it as a, a result of uh, pulling together enough sponsors to say this is livable, this is viable? As uh, New Balance, yeah, <laughs> single hand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I so I went with New Balance in 2008, and um, more than 500 bucks. 
Yeah, it was 4,000. Okay. <laughs> and um, which at that point in time was like almost jaw dropping for me. Yeah. At That's that point in time, money. I was like, if I can make a thousand bucks a month, I can save money, uh -huh. you know? Um, which is silly, but anyways. Uh, and then in 2010, I almost won the biggest race in the sport at the time, uh, Western States. I was second. And later that summer, like, I renegotiated my contract and basically just they just asked me like how much do you want? And I was like No kidding. Yeah, I was like, well, if you want me to come do this photo shoot, yeah. I can't have a job at the same time, you know, so mm -hmm. this is how much money I want. And they gave them to me, you know. And then a couple of years later renegotiated again for like another like, I don't know, thirty percent increase or something. And yeah, so yeah, that they changed my life. And I was with them for eight years and yeah. So this is, I mean, this is also an interesting time period because, uh, in short, I don't know, the internet's taking off and the ability to have an influence. It's all of that, off. 100%, yeah, you know. So you wouldn't have used the term influencer in, in 2010, but how much of that do you, do you recognize at the time as, as part of your job? Or in, say, 2010, for example, or early 20-teens, is it still very performance oriented and I want to win this race and I want to... I think it's both. Yeah. It's both. Um, especially with a company like New Balance whose roots are in like road racing, marathoning and track and field. Uh, like the marketing team there, they, they mostly just understood like race results. But then like Born to Run came out in 2009 and all of a sudden I'm like designing shoes with them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was just, it was a nationwide phenomenon. Like Hollywood stars are wearing like Vibram five finger <laughs> toe shoes, you know? Right. And um, that just made it, so I'm going around the country like giving talks about minimal footwear and yeah, I don't know that it was, it was like luck, I think, you know, yeah. you just like happened to be part of the zeitgeist at that point in time. And it all works out, uh, but I, you know, I didn't get a smartphone until 2014. So, but I was writing a blog yeah. quite consistently. Yeah, and a very well-read blog. That was like the social media of the late aughts and early teens, I'd say. You know, I, the same parallel. I was tired of writing individual emails to family and friends as I'm racing around the country and then over across the. Like here's my here's my like, travel yeah. blog. Basically. So here is yeah. I am Ted King blogspot com, and yeah that 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 certainly helped me get create a social awareness, and then social media has come out since then. What I heard you talk about Strava as a social media platform, which it's a it's a training log and it's a platform. It's one hundred percent a platform. Yeah. That's the only reason I'm on it. What do you? What like I have the, my own personal training log, you know, but yeah. then there's like Strava to like keep up with your buddies. Like. So <laughs> what are the social media platforms you've used throughout your life? Blogging. Strava. I mean, I had Facebook, like, when it came out. Okay. It's crazy. I haven't yep. been on Facebook in a couple of years, but... Yeah. Um, but, yeah, blogging, you know, blogspot.com, uh -huh. and then uh, Instagram, and I guess Strava. Like, those are the ones. I've never been on Twitter. Um, yeah. Have you... But now I'm, like, aging out. Like, I... Yeah. I've, I'm not on TikTok. I won't be on TikTok. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, whatever. <laughs> That's wise. I, yeah. I remember when somebody first told me to get TikTok and I was like, too old. Yeah. Can't just do can't it. do it. Yeah. Um, at this point, where do you think the balance is of, of influencing, of being a good brand ambassador, and of performance? 
I mean, oh, not that man. I'm looking for like uh, add those three up and create a hundred percent balance. I think that you have to, especially you know, I'm 39 now. Yep. Definitely, my best racing days are behind me. I mean, what? You're 37, 38. We're identical. 39. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, it took like the pandemic for me to fully embrace the fact that I need to be providing value beyond race results. Um, and that comes in the form of, you know, media projects basically and producing your own content. For me, a lot of time that's writing because um, I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, you have to, like, that's what being an ambassador means as opposed to just being an athlete, I suppose. And I find it especially, I wouldn't say that I'm jaded with the race scene, but it's just not as interesting to me anymore. It's not as all-consuming, you know? Mm-hmm. And so these other squishier aspects of being an ambassador are more interesting to me, are more fulfilling. Um, so I enjoy putting energy in the, into them. But at the same time, all of this is still just in service to the the value of being my own boss and having that autonomy getting you know like this is work for us right now in the middle of the day like like sitting on a cafe patio like (laughs) call you up and say hey let's go to midday tuesday bike ride and coffee shop and a podcast yeah and i don't know i'm super grateful that i've had an audience over the last decade and a half that has given me that opportunity you know um the the central thread of the podcast is people who ride bikes, and we haven't even mentioned that. So, at what point does bikes outside of that OCLV in circa 2002, when you see somebody on the Colorado College cycling team with it, when did, when does cycling enter your? your well, realm? I mean, but see, that's a funny point though, because in 03, it was 02, I think it was my fall of 20 years ago, fall of my sophomore year. Yeah. Uh, CC Cycling Club on the first block break of the year does this like tour to Aspen. My brother ran that. You guys definitely went on the same bike ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I remember, yeah. So he's what, he's like a year younger than you, a year older than you? No, he's, he graduated in 03. Oh, he's, okay, so he's a little older. A couple. Um, yeah, so it's like a three-day ride to Aspen, SAG vans, the whole thing. But then on the last day, I think someone had told me that someone else had done this. They're like, oh, yeah, so-and-so last year, like, rode all the way back to campus, you know, 160 yeah. miles in one push. I was like, oh, I'll do that. Yeah, easy. And, like, Prevailing winds. Dude, you're going east. Not like that, but it's a net downhill, yeah. you know? Easy. A couple thousand feet, but whatever, uh-huh. you know? Um, so, but that was, like, at that point in time, you know, I'm 19 years old. That was, like, the longest effort I'd ever done of any kind. You know, it was, like, eight or nine hours, 160 miles. Um, so I've just always had that tendency to like push the envelope that way but yeah. so you know that was on a bike um but really got into bikes for more than just uh rehab from injuries uh i would say in 2015 i got a stress fracture in my tibia and i kind of just like was like and it happened in the spring so my summer was gone yeah and i was like well i can't just let my summer follow it like so i i like got on craigslist bottom of dome hmm. you know and just rode a bunch yeah <laughs> but like really got into it just like connected to like the history and tradition of cycling in the boulder area which is obviously very deep, deep. but like, you know before that i was like what is left hand canyon yeah you know? like yeah, didn't yeah, even yeah. like know that it existed because why would I, I wouldn't go run there that's you know? funny um and so I've, i would consider myself truly a cyclist since 2015 
Um, but then in 2019, uh, a buddy of mine, Benedict, Ultra Romance. Oh, yeah. New Englander. <laughs> he, um, he reached out to me just kind of out of the blue on Instagram. And this is, I think, a perfect example of, like, the power, the positive power of social media. Yeah. We just follow each other on Instagram. And he was putting together a group of people to do, you know, DK at the time. I'm not kidding. And... I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome, especially if I get to, like, keep the bike from Crust, you know? I was, like, a little bit aware of Crust at that point in time, and that whole weekend just, like, opened my eyes to all of it. Like, like Matt Whitehead and the company Crust, Mm -hmm. Benedict and what he's doing with bikes, Mm -hmm. and obviously the whole scene of Unbound. Like, it's just nuts, you know? So did the 200 that weekend, and that was three years ago now. So, great segue. I want to talk about... I wanted to talk about three events today. One is Leadville, which we've talked about the 2006 uh, edition. Yeah. And we're going to talk about another one, 2021 edition. But what I really want to talk about on the on the topic of bikes is what you did summer of 2021, where you go on a mega bike run scramble adventure, basically mixing together all these loves of yours. Yeah. Ready? Go. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's exactly that. I think, for me, the most interesting thing about bikes is the self-sufficiency that they allow in terms of travel Mm -hmm. and integrating yourself into the world, I guess. And that's what a bike tour is. It's, uh, It's so cliche, but... Bikes are freedom in that you can travel long distances under your own power. Mm -hmm. And... I don't know, I'm a runner, I'm a climber. So those things are, they'll probably always be more appealing to me than just riding a bike. So being able to integrate that into, you know, ended up being a three week long tour was kind of always the goal. Um, And so the idea was linked together these six mountains in kind of the inner mountain west, uh, all of them being prominent peaks, either because of the high point in the range or the high point in the state, uh, the remote, they're technical, they're tall. yeah, just do it all under my own power and have a big adventure. Sleep on the ground and, yeah. And so, I think I've heard that, that one of the first peaks you do is King's Peak in Utah. Yeah. Where you've just ridden for three or four days and you get to King's Peak and then not only do you run it, but you also set the FKT. Yeah, I think, I mean, it was a little bit soft, probably. Okay. Um, I mean, I yeah, someone rolled up there who's fit and focused, like, they would break my time. But, uh, but yeah, I do technically have the FKT on it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a runner, you know, right. <laughs> like, and, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm pretty good at running the mountains and it's, uh, as a mountain marathon basically. And, um, but yeah, I had to ride 450 miles to get there right. in like three days. And, and so I'm like asking it with a smirk on my face because in riding to where we are right now, you talked to me about, you know, you ride hard approximately 1% of the time and the rest you're zone one, you're chilling, you're riding, you're getting from point A to point B. Yeah. It just sounds so funny, in not in contrast to, but then arriving to the mountain is, and by my standards, sprinting up it. If you're gonna, I don't care who has run in the past, but if you're gonna set an FKT, you're going quick. Yeah, I mean, it's I'm a runner, you know. I've been a runner for 27 years, so yeah. that's just it's just much more natural to me. I know how to go hard running. I know yep. how to like, which I think I have a sense in the bike too, but I don't have the, like those neuromuscular pathways developed. Um, like, I get dropped on the flats all the time because I don't know how to, yeah. like, push watts. Got it. Like, yeah. <laughs> how does, how does, okay, so that, what that trip looks like is three weeks, 
what, 2,500 miles? Something? 2,300, yeah. yeah. With running, what, every third day? Every Yeah, about that, exactly. There's about two two days of riding in between each mountain. Yeah. Um, most days were over 100 miles of riding. Yeah. A couple days were like 150 to 170. Yeah. Um, it was really hot. Uh, I don't know. I just, I guess, yeah, you haven't done much bikepacking. I don't know. I, I love I love living on the bike. Uh-huh. There's nothing like knowing you have everything you need. You can go wherever you want, right. do whatever you want. Like, I have the skill set of, I guess you can call it free soloing because it's like fifth-class terrain and mm-hmm. technical. I have that skill set where I'm comfortable on, like, low fifth-class terrain so I can climb relatively technical peaks that would take an experienced but less skilled party, you know, a couple of days. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just like it's like emerging of all my skill sets and joys yeah. into like one three-week trip kind of. My understanding is you are you are known as you you would take meticulous notes on your training when you were when you were strictly a runner. Yeah. And then how does that compare or contrast to a trip like that like do you do you train leading up to it no <laughs> i mean i don't know i'm always like i'm always like trying to be fairly fit uh-huh. um the main thing for me before that trip was being sure that my achilles would be able to handle all the running yeah because they were all quite long efforts usually t- over 20 miles and Dang. one was like 38 miles just because like gannet peak and the wind river range is really remote yeah um a lot of it's off trail but uh so i made sure that my achilles was healthy enough going into it but other than that like i have a base of i'm always riding my bike a lot i'm always running consistently yeah um and you can i don't know you might disagree being an actual professional cyclist but it's easier to like off the couch go for a long bike ride then go for a long run oh could not agree more you know like you can you can jump into 100 plus mile days on the bike and kind of survive it right easier than day after day of high mileage running um and i mean over the course of three weeks you kind of like you get trained up too and you're like i'm sleeping six to eight hours a night yeah you know i'm not it's not a race it's i'm not like cutting sleep I had an air mattress with me. Like, I was comfy. That's I dreamy. got two hotel rooms, like, you know. So as, as someone who's admittedly uncoachable, what does your training look like on, call it a yearly cycle or, or an acute cycle? Do you- it's, it, yeah, it depends on, like, what I'm trying to focus on. So, like, we were talking earlier, I don't know, maybe, I don't know how many, hopefully not too many runners listen to your podcast, but I, uh, Guess very few. I'm, right now I'm training kind of for two different objectives. One, I'll be going to South Africa and then in November for a hundred kilometer running race, ultra marathon. Cool. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to like, I'm like building the running right now. So, you know, two days ago I did a 30 mile long run. Yep. Um, Which event then, is that? It's uh, called Ultra Trail Cape Town. Okay. Yeah. Sounds and then, um, and then in the new year, I'll be going to Patagonia for a climbing trip. So, those are the two things I'm focusing on right now. Uh, and I ride my bike to get around town, and like the days in between running days, basically. So, it shifts. But like leading up to like the XL this year mm-hmm. at Unbound, I was quite focused on the bike, and I took you know like an eight day 1200 mile tour back yeah. home to nebraska like to get ready for that you know <laughs> like, yeah there's a lot of riding going on you know but that's just like i wanted to and i could feel that going into unbound where like 
I felt really good on the bike and was like, yeah, yeah I can do a hundred plus mile day and like not feel it, you know? Um, and I was like pushing the intensity on the bike more, like, you know, doing hill tempos and that kind of thing. And, okay. but all just by perceived effort. So, so it's it just, freestyled. It just shifts. Yeah. Your intervals are freestyled. You're like, I'm going. Yeah. Up and this is the same with running. I like, okay. I push the hill basically. Like if I'm going to go run up green mountain boulder. I'll like yeah. low key time trial. It kind of, you know, have you ever been meticulous about nutrition? No, no. Never throughout your yeah. career? Never, yeah. It's it's definitely, like, the weakest point of my athleticism. Yeah. <laughs> like, being with Haley has helped with that a lot because she's quite good with it. Uh-huh. Um, but I'd still, left my own devices, eat garbage. Yeah. So, talking about gravel, talking about Unbound, talking about the XL, I think I read that, that you were, uh, I believe the term is nonplussed. I love that word. Uh, in your first edition of doing uh, Unbound XL. Yeah. And, and I don't know what, I mean, I guess expand on that and then what encouraged you to go back? Uh, so the first year, that would have been last year, 21, yeah. Um, it was simply because I didn't give my best effort. Yeah. I, like, I like gave up the last 70 or 80 miles. Interesting. So it was just a good lesson in that. Like, I went in sort of assuming, like, if I finish this, it will have been, like, a satisfying, epic experience. Yeah. And because I didn't try my hardest, it wasn't satisfying. That's like, that's what I meant by nonplussed, I guess. Got it, got it, got it. Um, it didn't... I remember, like, rolling in Emporia and just being kind of like, oh, yeah, I guess we're in a race. Yeah. You know, like, I just had... I just wasn't... In, I was just soft-pedaling, you know? Huh. Um, whereas this year, like, I raced the whole way, and... Uh, I had a really good time and I enjoyed it a lot. And, nice. Um, so yeah, it was it was my fault. Like I was just disappointed in myself, basically. And then com- you, your first time in Emporia was 2019. Yep. What do you? Even in those three years, that scene has changed. And it's a, yeah. That that event has only gotten bigger. Yeah. Obviously, the the acquisition by Lifetime is significant in any number of ways. Which was 2019, the first year that Lifetime had it. <laughs> I think it might have been actually. I think that's right. Or maybe even 20. 20. Oh. No, it was definitely... They were, f- they were still... Lifetime was there in 2019 for okay. sure. Okay. Yeah. So, what do you what do you think of... What do you think of Unbound? And and that scene? I mean, like... Okay, yeah. it's no, this, so busy and it, it, it yeah. takes so many boxes, but it could also grit anybody any number of ways. I think it can be a polarizing event. Um, I, feel, I feel kind of divided about it. Uh, yeah. Because... So, like, last year... My dad came down, and you don't get crewed. What was he doing? Oh, he was uh, he was crewing Haley for the 200. She did the 200 last year. Yeah. She did the XL this year. Yeah. And, you know, my dad just out on the farm, whatever. He's been to Leadville, seen me run a couple times. Yeah. And, but he was just, like, so turned off by it. Just, like, just like all those people on their expensive bikes. You know, it's... You know, Benedict has called it like a dentist convention. Convention, you know, <laughs> DK the dentist convention, um, and that's yeah. There is a lot. That is the scene, you know. It's like uh-huh. bikes cost a lot of money, more than running shoes. Um, and but if that, I think that's like a cynic's kind of point of view of it, you know. I love bikes, and I love nerding out on bikes, and. Um, I don't know. I came away like, yeah, this year I think was the most amped up it was in that respect in terms of competitiveness. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Lycra and Carbon. But I came away feeling like, oh, but 
most of the people out here, like, they, they still fucking get it, you yeah. know? Like, they're there to challenge themselves, to have this enriching experience, to try hard and come out the other side having learned something about themselves, grown in a certain way, and anything that can be a catalyst for those things is net positive in my book. So that's my view on Unbound. I mean, I don't know. I'm probably greater than 50% chance that I'll go back and do the XL again next year. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you hit it on your head. I think anybody could be a cynic of the event. I get that. Yeah, it's easy to look at bike culture and be like, oh, it's consumerism. You right. know? But I feel like the vast, vast, vast majority of people are there. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. It's everything you just said. Like, they're there because they like the scene, they like competition, they like challenging themselves. I like nothing more, especially having seen it over the past six years. You know, you, you end up at Commercial Street at 11 o'clock or midnight, and there yeah. are folks who are there for purely the town party, and they've, they don't even know there's a cycling event until they see a few people trickling through. Yeah, yeah, they're, like, they're there for, like, the circus. And they come back yeah. the next year, and they race it the next year, and that's that's just freaking cool. It know. is, yeah. I mean, it's gravitational. I think it's, yeah, I think it's, it's positive. But, yeah. Uh, um, so, okay, now jumping back real quick. You you do the 2,300-mile the mega mountain adventure, and then you, you run your first ultra in something like... Six or seven years. Yeah. By yeah. going back to to Leadville. Okay, maybe injuries are a big portion of it, and just say yes, if that's the case. What? Why did you go such a big expanse of time without competing? Mostly injuries. Yeah, yeah. I just never felt confident uh, in my body to like line up. I don't like. I don't start races if I'm not prepared and if I'm not confident that I can finish. Yeah. And really, until last year. I didn't have the confidence that I could finish 100 miles without an injury preventing me from finishing. Yeah. Um, and I was confident enough last year, and it turned out fine. Yeah. Uh, this year I wasn't. Like, I would have run Leadville again this year, but my Achilles flared up the second half of the summer and yeah. just didn't wasn't able to feel good about it. Yeah. Um, I feel good about it now, but, yeah. So that was the main thing. But then, uh, and it sounds silly, but I came off that that tour and I was fit yeah I bet. <laughs> you know so I did a couple long runs and I was like yeah I can run 100 miles yeah. you know and it also it was it was exciting to me again you know I mean that was probably my 1200 uh-huh. but um, yeah I think it had been 6 or 7 years since I'd done one and so it felt brand new almost again of like kind of uncertain and like oh, I don't know it's gonna take really hard effort to finish you know yeah. and so yeah and in listening to other conversations you've had, another podcast, the element of competition, like I'm, I'm trying to really square it, your perspective on it, because I've heard you say like you really don't care about the end result on a piece of paper. And, like, Not anymore. There was definitely a, a period of time when I did, yeah. And so you finished third last year in this, after the seven-year hiatus from racing, you come back, you finish third. Is it that you don't care about finishing third? You're happy with the your, the way your body performed, and you're happy with your overall performance? Or I mean, like, what hap- what would have happened if you won again, or if you got fiftieth? I mean, if I'd gotten fiftieth but still finished, I would have been psyched that I finished. I'm like, oh well, I ran 100 miles again. Yep. Um, I would not have been like. It wouldn't have been a wholly negative experience as long as the reason I got fiftieth was 
that's the best I could do that day. Yeah. Um, you know, it kind of goes back to that first year at the XL. Like, I didn't give my best effort that day. As long as I've, like, done what I can do on the day, yeah. what, what can I complain about? Right. Um, but getting third, I mean, I'd be lying if there wasn't, like, at least a glimmer of, like, oh, yeah, okay, like, the old man still got it a little bit, you yeah. know? Yeah. Like, like, these yawnings, they still have some learning to do, you know? Uh-huh. But that's it's truly like a small part of it I guess I spent you know in those six or seven years I spent a lot of time I, I did other competitions I, I raced bikes uh, schema races yep and I'm not as good at those things I'm like back of the front of the pack you know front of the middle of the pack, middle of the pack kind mm-hmm. of athlete but I still found competition to be a super uh enjoyable, enriching, valuable experience, despite not having any notable results. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. that was something that I learned in my hiatus from running racing, uh, that competition is still really valuable to me as life experience, basically, yeah. in learning about yourself and growing as a person. So I don't know. And you just, I'm sure you've experienced this as you get in, become older you just uh-huh. become more secure in your identity and you don't need to like beat everybody you right know? well yeah it's, a, it's it's part of the aging process it's part of this transition it's part of i mean the whole scope of what we've been talking about for an hour well, one thing that i'm trying to square with myself is how much of endurance sports is hedonistic like we are as as endurance athletes we appreciate type two fun like it hurts at the time and then in hindsight it's it's yeah good and and so you know i'm often hoping and thinking that i'm inspiring people and doing good things and being philanthropic with my time and and resources where i can be but it's still at its heart so self-fulfilling like for for self for me yeah but everyone needs that to a certain degree like you need a certain amount of that in your life like you have to like you can't be the best version of yourself if you're not if you don't have something in your life that is for you and gratifies you in a certain way. I don't know. I think. I think that's absolutely right, and that's why I wish every person would ride a bike or run or get those endorphins that get me out of bed every day. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what it is. It's like it's endorphins, it's flow state, Yeah. you know, which is the ineffable, like being able to, doing the right thing at the right place at the right time. Um, I don't know. Yeah, feeling connected to your community in the universe, you know. And uh, I don't know. Yeah. So, like, why? I don't think a person needs to apologize for those kinds of feelings, you know. Oh yeah, and I guess it's also. But it can be. You can. It can be too much, though. You know, you have to balance, obviously. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Okay. For the benefit of time and getting to appointments and you getting home and not sacrificing your entire afternoon, we wrap with three traditional questions. One, what is your favorite place to ride a bike? Two, what is the number one place you would like to ride a bike that you've never ridden? And three, with whom, living or otherwise, fictitious or non, with whom would you like to go for a bike ride? Oh, man. Okay. Uh, Favorite place to ride a bike, I would say, is the Sand Hills of Nebraska. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's, uh... Is there a picture on your Instagram of, like, three waving, three waves of horizon? Probably. I don't know. I mean, I've definitely have posted photos from the sand hills. What do they look like? 
This is central Nebraska. Think okay. of uh, grass-covered sand dunes. Oh, wow. Because that's what it is. Yeah. Okay. Um, and nothing but a few cows, a few bison, some barbed wire fences. It sounds austere. <laughs> it's, it's what I call uh, paved gravel because... <laughs> You have a state highway out there yeah. where there's just no traffic. Like, yeah. you can ride for an hour and not see a car, you know? <laughs> but it's paved, you yeah. know? It's perfect. Because um, gravel's only cool because there's no traffic. Accurate. R- riding on gravel's like... Yeah. Riding on pavement's more fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Silky smooth. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, All, right. All right. So, I love the sand hills. Uh, it's remote. Mm-hmm. Um, where I would like to ride a bike that I haven't... Um, funny like i've ridden in the dolomites in the alps uh i i think uh, the pacific northwest honestly i don't know that that interests me right now uh, there's like some riding there's some some running and climbing i'd like to do out there that, nice so yeah I'll link those that. multimodal i like it yeah I, I mean even it's basic but like big sur yeah like i've done some running in big sur but i've never in my bike there nice and not and not pch but uh you know off-road yep um and then with who i would say my dad and that's because i think he would get and he would find a lot of joy in riding a bike if he allowed himself to uh-huh uh, because it just increases your radius of, like, I'll go home and go on these long rides, like, from our farm and come back and talk to him about, like, where I went and stuff. And, and like, I can see him kind of, like, spark up and, yeah. you know, take interest in, you know, well, I haven't been down that road in a while or whatever, you know. And it's like, like Dad, just, just, you know, I can get you a bike with, like, two-inch tires. It's going right. to be on the loose gravel. It'll be fine, you know. And... I think you, it just doesn't like fit into his like orientation to the world. I don't know, it's weird. But yeah, I would like to go on a bike ride with my dad. It's beautiful. I dig it. Well, hugely appreciate your time. Time to make it to other places. Uh, Thank you very much. Thank you, Ted. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks again to Anton. Thank you, Tony. Thank you for taking the time and making this conversation happen. Listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, the single most impactful thing you can do to share it is to tell your friends. Chuck it on your social media, tell your mom, tell your cousin, tell your neighbor down the road about King of the Ride podcast. Trust me, that helps tremendously. That's it. That's all. Until next time, please enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride.